0: I think that people drive themselves crazy trying to turn a, a non-venture company into a venture company um, and, and can really destroy a lot of business value trying to grow too fast. Um, and at the end of the day, you don't have to give up a lot of ownership if you can build the company you know, more organically. And, and listen, I just come with a ton of caveats because I know that capital is hard to find.
1: Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Andrea Hippo, who is a principal investor at Leah Hippo Ventures, a New York-based venture fund looking at early stage startups, Prior to Leah and Hippo, she held a number of management and business development roles at portfolio companies. Andrea also worked in corporate development while at Advanced Publications and managed client relationships at Thomas Rotus. After studying French and business management at Skidmore College, she went on to do her MBA at Columbia Business School. On this episode, we talk all things venture capital, working with portfolio companies, and how Leah and Hippo are navigating the venture space in a COVID-19 world. All right, let's jump into the action. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So when you are out and about, um, I guess, pre-COVID as an event, how do you uh, introduce yourself to people?
0: Um, I say that my name is Andrea Hippo, um, and I'm a principal at Lear Hippo.
1: Nice. I'm sure that's usually follow up like, oh, I've got this cool idea. Can I tell you about (laughs) it? (laughs)
0: Uh, I would say only nine times out of ten.
1: Okay. Yeah, especially not, um, in New the-
0: York Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, yeah. So okay, so before we get into like Leon and Hippo and the and the and the great work you guys have been doing, um I wanna talk a bit about like early life before you got into VC. So um so where did you like grow up and like what were you doing? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um I grew up in Connecticut, um, in a town that was about an hour outside of New York City, very Suburban um, childhood, you know, running my bike around the cul-de-sac and, you know, playing sports and all and all that good stuff. Um, I went to a small liberal arts college called Skidmore, um, which is in Saratoga Springs, New York, um, which I absolutely loved. Um, made some of my lifelong friends there, had an amazing experience, um, and then moved to, to New York City in 2008 when I graduated. Um mm-hmm and started my career in a super boring corporate sales job at Thomson reuters um i think graduating college my only um requirement was that someone offered me a job um and was willing (laughs) to pay me so that was the job that that i got um but actually it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, at the time I joined right when two companies merged Thompson and Reuters, I actually started on the day that the, the offices came together. So it was a really interesting time to, to join. I, I don't, I think this was like a little bit above my head at the time. Um, but joining a recently merged company and all the kind of challenges that, that come with that. Um, and I was selling market data. So basically, if you think about like what a Bloomberg terminal is, mm-hmm. um, Thomson Reuters has many versions of that, as well as data feeds, um, all selling into kind of into, uh, uh, financial institutions, so banks, hedge funds. Um, and it was 2008, so it was in the middle of the the financial crisis. Yeah. Um, I was selling a tier two product um, into people that really were not interested in buying. So it was it was definitely. Interesting, Um, but I I I really believe that getting that sort of sales experience early on in your career is is really priceless. You know, doing cold calls, I would walk trading floors, um, you know, do demonstrations, just really, you know, kind of pounding the pavement. Um, Mm -hmm. So and and at the end of the day, I really loved the people I worked with, and I think that was another really valuable lesson I took away from that job is. Um, a workplace is made up of you know a group of people and it's made more enjoyable when when you enjoy those people so I had a great mentor um, really enjoyed it um, but kind of knew it wasn't what I wanted to do to do in the long term um, so I started thinking about applying to business school um, as one does when they don't know what they want to do <laughs> um, yeah. and um, in the process of that I actually ended up getting a job um, at uh, what was at the time called advanced finance group. It's now called advanced venture partners. Um, it's essentially the new house family, which owns Condé Nast, um, among other uh, traditional media properties. Right. They were starting a $400 million corporate development fund. Um, cause they realized that they needed to diversify away from traditional media. Um, so, so I started there. I was the second employee. Um, so I was everything from my boss's personal assistant associate, um, you know, you name it. I was doing it, um, and that was a really amazing experience. And it was my first kind of taste of uh, entrepreneurship and startups and tech. Um, this was kind of in the era of you know, when Birchbox was first starting. Um, and oh, I just wow. remember meeting all those founders and thinking, "Oh my God, there's this whole other world where you know you wear jeans to work um, and not a pantsuit." And
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually really had, be- you, uh, had you on the show actually.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. um, their people are so passionate about what they're doing and they're, you know, changing consumer behavior and they're so forward thinking. And, um, I was just completely kind of enthralled with that whole world, um, with getting to meet all those companies. Um, and, and so I did end up going to business school, but kind of when I went to business school knew I wanted to stay in that world in, in some capacity.
1: Right. And so you, you went to Columbia. Business school.
0: <laughs> yes. Yep. I went to Columbia. Um, and, um, I did my summer internship, um, at a company called actually funny story. I wanted to work at Birchbox. Um, but I didn't get the, I did not get the internship. Um, so, um, my, my dad, my, my dad said to me, you know, there's this other company called Bark Box And it's very similar to BirchBox, except, uh, you know, it's for dogs and you're a big animal lover. So why don't you, you know, try, try interviewing with them. So, so I did, uh, I joined them for my summer internship. Um, And it was it was such an amazing experience. I think there were like eight of us working out of a one room office in a building in Chinatown where there was a Chinese man who operated the elevator. Um, and, And I watched the company grow over that summer. And then I stayed on my second year um as well and just saw the company really sky, you know, t- skyrocket and it was such an amazing experience. Um so when I graduated, I was kind of thinking, okay, what do I want to do next? Do I want to join another startup? Um, I kind of knew I didn't want to start my own company, but I wanted to stay um in the startup ecosystem. Um mm-hmm. and around the same time they had just raised the fourth fund at Lair Hippo. Um so they were able to hire someone. Um so yeah, so I started there. Kind of thinking. Oh, I'll do this for a year or two, um, and then I'll find my next kind of bark box. Um, but that was six years ago, so obviously, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. has not happened yet. <laughs> wow,
1: that's crazy. I mean, look, a career in venture is is in my opinion a, a great one because you you get to touch everything. Uh, you yeah. don't have to commit too much to anything, but you're you're around just enough to, to to be around to the fun and like contribute where necessary, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think that VCs maybe do a little bit too much of patting themselves on the back about how help, you know, how much they help their companies at the end of the day. Mm. Like, you know, I, I don't, you know, go and work at any of my companies and and we really trust the founders, but just being able to support them, you know, obviously financially, but, but in other ways too um, is, is super rewarding.
1: Yeah. So I guess with, with Leah Hippo, how do you, what's your main remit? Like what area do you focus on?
0: Yeah, so so we're a generalist fund. Um, so that means that we invest um, across all sectors. Um, I think the only things we don't do are medical devices and biotech, just because those are two areas that we know nothing about. Um, and we always want to be able to be helpful in some capacity. Um, so, so everyone on the team are also generalists. So we're not set up that people really have a a direct focus. Um, really at the end of the day, we want to be seeing every seed deal in New York city. Um, so New York is our focus. We invest outside of New York as well, but for us, um, you know, the fund is really all about, about the New York ecosystem. Um, so it's kind of more of like an all hands on, on deck approach in terms of right. of looking at companies. Um, myself personally, I've I've looked at consumer companies. Um, I look at B two B companies, uh, digital health companies. So so really a raw, a wide gamut, which I really like about the job. Um, you know, I think. It's it's you it takes a lot of like intellectual curiosity and and stuff yeah. like that, but it's nice to be able to really dive into to one area that I knew nothing about and learn a lot about it, and then the next day do that with a totally new area. Um, and so I don't know if that like suits for everyone, but I personally enjoy that.
1: Oh, I think it's, it's it creates kind of like an you know, organized chaos. I call it.
0: Yeah, yeah, in a way. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then the and other you- half of of my job is working with the portfolio company, so. We're all split pretty 50-50 sourcing and then portfolio support.
1: Got it. And then I, I know you guys are quite a generous fund, uh, generalist fund rather, yeah. um, but you, there is quite a strong focus on like media, right?
0: Yeah. You know, it's actually very interesting. Um, everyone kind of has that uh, conception of us, but actually media is only 10% of our portfolio. Oh, uh, interesting. But <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but I understand why people have that uh, view of us. I think, A, we do have, Media companies in our portfolio. Um, We have some heavy hitters in there, like BuzzFeed and Axios, and some other companies that are very, very successful. And then the other reason is it's it's very much kind of in the DNA of the of the of the fund through the partners. Um, So all the partners have pretty extensive media backgrounds. Um, So I I definitely understand where it comes from, Um, but it is percentage wise well. Sorry.
1: I think you have the Nine Media Group as well.
0: Group nine, yeah, of course. Yeah. Group and
1: ben, Yeah. in well, nine, media. Sorry.
0: Yeah. nine. <laughs> <laughs> nine and, and Ben Lear and he really has full two full time jobs and he's the CEO of Group Nine and then he's also a managing partner at, at Lear Hippo. So um which is great because we get to use Group Nine as kind of the guinea pig for a lot of the companies we're looking at. Um and, and diligence. So it's great having such access there.
1: Yeah, I mean there's some great companies in Group Nine. I mean, you got yeah. Thrillist, Sugar, uh you know, the list goes on Yeah, like- the Dodo. Yeah. Um and I so I guess so this is fund this is which fund are you guys on now? Fund So we're four? investing
0: currently out of our sixth fund.
1: Sixth fund, right. Yeah. And how big is the fund?
0: Uh that fund's 120 million.
1: Okay. And predominantly at seed. Series A? Yeah,
0: or, yeah. Uh, seed. So, I mean, define seed would be my question, but. Yeah, what I say. Yeah, well, yeah.
1: yeah <laughs> I mean, I will uh, love to that question.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a bit of a moving target. Um, it's interesting. Right. I mean, in the sixth, when I joined Layer Hippo, we were on our fourth fund. Um, and we weren't even leading deals really yet out of that fund, um, so we were writing kind of like three hundred k to five hundred k checks right. um going all the way back to the first fund, which was ten years ago, we were writing like fifty k to hundred k checks um and now we almost lead all the deals that we do um you know there's some scenarios where we co lead or follow on, but for the majority of the deals we're leading um and we're writing kind of between one and two million dollar first checks, so it's definitely evolved um over time i I am interested to see kind of the effects of of COVID um, and if we see that come back down. But I think what we're seeing is that founders are raising more in kind of angel um, and um, pre-seed money um, and coming to us when they're a little bit further along than perhaps 10 years ago.
1: Right, right. So they need to have a bit more like proven out before they can approach you guys?
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, we, there's plenty of companies we invest in that are, you know, pre-launch kind of idea on a napkin. Uh, but I just think it's been kind of the evolution of the market that there's so much more like very early stage capital available that right. companies don't have to go straight to, to institutional funds to get that kind of off the ground capital.
1: Right. And, you know, as of late, I've been asking all the VCs I've been speaking to about their thoughts on like consumer tech. Um, and what I, I guess you've been in the game for you know six years now, so you must have seen consumer trends change drastically. Um, what what are your views right now on consumer tech
0: and consumer trends? Yeah, um, consumer has been interesting over the years. I mean, you know, I think obviously going way back to um, before business school, I you know saw the rise of the subscription box and kind of yeah. how that. Through the model on its head, and and even before that, you know, kind of at the beginning of the fund with our first investment in Warby Parker, the innovation was mm. going direct to consumer in the first place. Um, you know, that was that was a totally new thing to to cut out the middleman to uh, create a direct relationship with your customer and the manufacturer and kind of offer a superior product at at a lesser price point because you were cutting out the retailer and, and all the other middlemen involved. Um, so, and then, you know, we kind of saw the rise of, um, facebook marketing, digital acquisition um, you know when when Facebook was first launching its its ad platform, they were essentially giving away free money to to advertisers um, and the market was not as crowded at the time, so the targeting worked really, really well um, and I think we saw a lot of companies kind of grow off of the back yeah. of that. Um, yeah. And then obviously, Instagram came around and um, influencers became huge. I mean, you got a Kardashian to post about your company and, and you were golden. Um, mm-hmm. I think that has also become very crowded. I think consumers are a little distrustful now of, of um, you know, seeing influencers post um, about things. Um, and, and so it's been interesting because really for the last, I would say, 2 years... We've really been pushing our companies to think about omni-channel. Um, so whether that means um, opening up their own stores or having wholesale relationships with some of the bigger chains like Target or Walmart um, or Nordstroms, which has done a lot with with startups. Um, and so, you know, obviously when when Corona happened. Um, it's actually, I feel like the companies that really figured that that out and unlocked omnichannel were the ones that got hit the hardest. Um, so I think in a post-Corona world, we'll have to see what that means for for consumer.
1: Right, and I guess you know the cost of acquisition in the in I guess in the consumer space is is that a determining factor as to whether or not you guys invest in a company? I mean, I know obviously like things like CAC and LTV are super important. Yeah. But- Are you, I guess, what are some of these, you know, new school consumer tech companies doing um, in terms of like, like taking control of their CAC and really trying to think strategically and methodically about how they're going about acquisition?
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of times we're investing in companies before they even have a CAC, um, especially in consumer. We do a lot of pre-launch consumer brands. Um, So I I think for us, it's really about how the founders are thinking about it. So if someone pitches me and I ask them what their go-to-market strategy is, and they only say Facebook, like that's definitely a red flag. Um, um, But then again, if someone, you know, I talk to someone and they say, oh, you know, we're just going to be organic. You know, we're not going to use any paid marketing. Well, that's probably unrealistic too. Um, So I think what we're looking at is for really a balanced approach. You know, we know that there's going to be some. Paid acquisition, you know, I think that's just kind of the name of the game. But how can you think about building a community around your brand uh, where people uh, discover you organically um, and really follow you because they believe in the mission of your brand? And those are the people that are going be- to become your evangelists and are going to go out there and tell all their friends and family about your brand. And at the end of the day, I think that is the best the best way to grow. Um, so you might need to uh you know use a little bit of paid to get you there, to get your main name out there. Definitely, you know, once you've kind of figured out your customer acquisition strategy, you can use paid to kind of pour more fuel on the fire. Um, but at the end of it, I think a lot of time paid can kind of mask a brand that hasn't really figured out what they yeah. stand for and, and who their customer is and why that customer wants to follow that brand. Um so so it's definitely i mean i wish i could say like there's a formula to it but it's much more art than science
1: yeah i mean we had um hadley harris from iniac ventures yeah yeah um on the show last week and you know he said he's a bit skeptical about consumer brands and you know companies that they look for now need to have a moat and branding and within
0: itself is not enough Um, yeah and it's interesting i think going back to media, like, you know, even though I said only 10% of our, our portfolio companies, are media companies, in reality, almost all of our consumer companies and a lot of our B2B companies are media companies. Um, um, and I think a lot of that moat is created is content, um, and your brand voice and your brand mission and really being authentic. Um, and, and content is really a great way, a great way to do that.
1: Yeah. And out of, I guess out of the portfolio, um, out of your portfolio, what companies are doing this well? Like what consumer brands or maybe even, you know, B2B brands, but like what brands right now are doing, you know, acquisition really, really well and smart and have like a, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I think you know the the. I mean, this is it's kind of a cheap answer because it's the, this company is a bit of lightning in a bottle. But Allbirds um, is yeah, one of our yeah. portfolio <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that has really mastered this. And you know, I think with their environmental stance um, and sustainability and the 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 messaging that they've done around that in in really smart ways, like you know, when Amazon um, basically ripped them off and offered a shoe for, uh, you know, a quarter of the price, you know, Albert said, you know, compete with us on sustainability, you know, not on price and, and kind of put out this open letter from the founders, which, you know, Triggered a, a, a huge press storm and, and got them a lot of coverage. Um, so um, they, I think, just have always lived and breathed the brand, um, and you can you can tell that like they don't make any decision, you know, down to like the doorknobs in their stores that are not rooted in in the brand. Wow. So so that's a company that um, has always done that. Um, another one in our portfolio, which is actually benefiting from COVID, um, is a company called Mirror um and they know, are a yeah. digital yeah yeah um and and same thing i mean listen obviously everyone's trying to work out at home so they're they're seeing a big lift uh, but even before that um, Bryn, the founder, you know, she was a ballerina and she had her own chain of fitness studios and she really like is the brand. And I think that's a great, um, kind of story about, uh, a founder driven brand, um, that, that also kind of stuck to its ethos and, um, you know, and, and they did things like release their digital app sooner than it was supposed to be to, to, uh, kind of support people that are trying to work out at home and, and things like that. So really customer centric, um, and always kind of stuck, stuck to their brand. Um, and then a smaller brand, a uh, newer brand in the portfolio, um, we have one called Parade. Um, and it's a, a underwear company for Gen Z. So basically trying to take mm-hmm. on, um, Victoria's Secret. Um, and they do. I mean, it's a young brand. Um, I think they launched less than a year ago. Um, but they do. A, they've really done an amazing job of building the community. So they have a, a, a big presence on on Instagram. Um, and you know, you go on there and they post something and there's thousands of comments. Um, and they've done a lot around size inclusivity um, and also uh, environmental and sustainability. So. Um, so those are a few examples, but I think at the end of the day, you know, the kind of the common thread is, is staying true to, to the brand.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, being able to create that tribe <laughs> early on in the company's life cycle is, 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 is so important. It's quite, and it's very tricky to do actually. <laughs> it is it's tricky
0: not- and, and it's <laughs> easy to get lulled into just, you know, growth and paid, paid acquisition because listen, it in a lot of ways it works um yeah. but you have to have your eye on the bigger picture um yeah. and where does that get you in in the long run like you know i think it's better to grow a little slower um but really have good fundamentals um and and, and loyal customers than just to to grow super fast but you know always having to acquire a new customer because eventually you know it gets cost prohibitive to get that incremental customer
1: absolutely absolutely and like in terms of like you know in light of covid um, yeah. how you, how has this affected you guys? How has it affected the fund? How has it affected some of your portfolio companies? Um, and kind of what have you done? Cause I know a lot of VCs have had, you know, over the last few weeks, emergency board meetings with all their companies. Um, I mean, has that been the case for you guys? Like, yeah. What, what, you know?
0: yeah, absolutely. I would say like things are more stable now. I think the last two or three weeks, um, things have, have kind of stabilized, um, which, which is good. And we've kind of gone back to, to looking at new deals, uh, but definitely the first three, three to four weeks, uh, we were, we were almost exclusively working on, on the portfolio companies. Um, and listen, they've been affected in different ways. I mean, you know, there, there's are some companies that were almost all retail, um, or very reliant on retail that, you know, basically saw their business go to zero overnight, um, and and for those companies it's it's about okay you know first of all like you know batten down the hatches and and cash preservation and and all that but then it's uh, the what comes after that is how can we now transform the business um you know to be digital to be bigger Mm. than our retail locations and i think for some of them it's actually a nice kind of pause moment i mean obviously none of us want to be in this situation but there's very few times as a founder um in your company's life cycle, where you'll really get a moment to to reassess and and work on new initiatives. I mean, I think you know most so, founders if if you're especially if you're running a, a highly successful company it's it's mostly about just you know running as fast as you can. Um, so to kind of have this moment to say, um, you know, okay, if we're a retail company, how do we then transfer that to digital? Um, uh, what does retail look like when it reopens? How do we make this more of um you know a cross-platform business? Um and then some for, for some of our companies that were were, you know, have seen their CACs rise, um you know maybe they're not a essential item or something that people just aren't buying right now. um a lot of them are looking at how do we grow organically, like I said, you know how do we get less reliant on paid acquisition you know how how do we kind of make our organic channels more more robust um so I think you know our portfolio has fared um you know there's been ups and downs in some companies that are doing extremely well. Like I mentioned mirror and we have uh, some telemedicine companies and digital health companies that are, you know, uh, are doing really well. A lot of our food company, food delivery companies are doing super well. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you know, things that you never really expected to have, like this sudden, you know, inflection point, have it, it's actually been pretty transformative for them. Uh, but then other companies were, you know, it's been it's been super hard, and you know they've had to done rifts and layoffs and furloughs, and and that's that's never easy. So just trying to be there for the companies in in any way that we can. A lot of it was also spent trying to navigate the whole PPP loan situation. Um, which, which has been a journey as well, um yeah. but as a fund, um you know, I think besides working remotely and and doing all of our um meetings over phone and zoom, um you know nothing's really really changed on for us, which you know I feel very very lucky about um so you know we have l p s who understand venture as an asset class and and know that we're long-term investors and that kind of these, you know, maybe shorter term or short to medium term crises don't affect us as much. Um, so, um, so that's been great, but yeah, just trying to learn how to, to, to do things on zoom. I mean, we were very in-person driven as a fund, as I said, you know, we're focused in New York, our office is in New yeah. York. We love meeting founders in person. Um, also trying to figure out how to source, uh, without going to events and, and meeting people in person as well has been interesting, but, but just figuring out what the, the new normal is.
1: Yeah, totally. And like I guess for I guess media, you know, you know, something I wanted to ask you earlier is yeah. like media as an industry has taken quite a hit over the last few years. Um, you know, have you found that the media companies have actually been thriving during this time just because people have a lot more time at home? Uh, you know, people are probably consuming more content than they used to. like has have you seen any of your media companies kind of like benefit from this as well?
0: Um I think you have to think about it in two ways. I mean, they are ad supported revenue businesses. Right. Um yeah. so so there's that. Um but then, you know, in terms of audience, uh yeah, I think in a lot of ways that ha- has gone up. It's interesting. Our pod, you know, in, in the podcasting space, and um, we have a couple podcasting companies and actually their audience um went way down, It dipped, I think, yeah, you know, uh, almost, almost 20%. Yeah. Wondery. And then, um, we have another, we haven't announced yet. Um, but, um, you know, the audience actually went way down at first because, um, people weren't commuting in their cars, you know, or commuting at all. Um, and that's a big time that people, um, consume podcasts, but just in, in a few weeks, they've, they've already seen that start to come back up. Um, so, and I think, you know, it's now figuring out, okay, who are the new advertisers? You know, maybe it's not, um, you know the travel companies anymore, um, but you know there are companies out there that uh, you know, big and small, that are starting to spend on on advertising again. So um, again, I think it's you know kind of a retrenching, um, figuring out what the strategy is. Um, but yeah, and I think you know, like in Group Nine, you have now this, um, which is a news company, and and that's mm-hmm. really an essential um, service at this point. So. Um, and then, you know, things like the Dodo, which are, you know, kind of uplifting, um, inspirational stories about animals. Like people are, are looking for that sort of content right now. So, um, so I would say they kind of took an initial hit given the business model, but are, are coming back and, and figuring it out.
1: And I guess like, you know, a question I've been asking a ton of VCs is like, what do you think COVID has done? to kind of like the ecosystem and what do you think it will do kind of post COVID? Um, you know, there was a lot of talk before this around, you know, the venture capital, like the startup ecosystem, um, needing, you know, market correction, uh, there's a kind yeah. of money around, like, do you feel as though that's been brought forward and there's going to be like a significant change in how venture, you know, venture do deals going forward. Um, is there going to be a slowdown in investments? Like what, like what, what are your kind of predictions on that?
0: Yeah, um I don't think fundamentally, I mean obviously I think you'll see a, a Q2 I think you know probably when those stats come out dip in in new deals done because I do think that um you know a lot of the VCs I've talked to and I know ourselves, you know, we spent a good amount of this quarter we'll spend, you know, just focus on our portfolio companies. Um but at the end of the day, like, you know, they're there's still a lot of capital in the ecosystem that needs to be deployed, um, and you know the the best companies have been built out of out of crises and recessions. I mean, I think you know you saw it after the dot com um, bust, after um, the Great Recession, and so we're all out there looking for what are what's going to be the next LinkedIn, um, you know, what's going to be the next um, Zoom? Like, who, who are these companies that are going to to really break out at this moment? Um, and, and they're out there and they're going to be built in the next 12 months. Um, so I actually think it's a really exciting time, um, to, to be a VC. And, and I think for me, at least in my career, you know, as I said, I've been doing this for six years. This is probably the first like real radical um, like shock to the the system that I've seen, um, mm. and at least from what I've heard from you know the partners at our firm and, and others have been doing this much longer than I like that's when that's when the real innovation happens. So so you know I think it's a little bit of being patient. Um, you know you have to wait for people to to kind of get their bearings back before they're going to want to start a company. But definitely I think the next. Um, 12 to, to 12 months to three years, we'll see some very exciting companies be, be started.
1: Absolutely. And I guess during this time, do you think COVID has exposed anything about like the startup ecosystem or just like about startups in general?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for some it, it, it showed that, um, you know, maybe what you see on the outside, um, isn't what's on the inside. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some very kind of flashy companies that, Maybe didn't have the the business metrics to back to back it up. Um, yeah. So so there's that. Um, but you know, one thing I really have enjoyed seeing, and you know, this is I've seen this in our portfolio and, and out of our portfolio is, I actually think that the community is more collaborative than everyone thought. Um, yeah. Both in the ways that like, yes, startups compete with one another, but I really think in this time, they're realizing that there's more power um, in working together in a lot of ways. You know, you see companies collaborating on, on, you know, product bundles and and helping each other out, you know, how do I retrofit my factory to now make masks and PPE um, and really being collaborative. And I actually think you see that um, with funds too, you know, us saying to other funds, like, Hey, you know, we have a company that's in trouble. Like let's work together to, to fix this or help them or, you know, whatever you have to do versus like, you know, competing for deals or, um, things like that. So I think that's been kind of a benefit of it. And I hope that can carry over post COVID when we realize, you know, both at the startup level and at the fund level, we don't all have to be competing all the time. We can collaborate and it actually can make, you know, make us stronger.
1: Yeah. And, you know, going back to your point that you made earlier in terms of like, you know, deal sourcing. I guess what what will you guys be doing moving forward? Because there aren't any events. There are no demo days. Like, what is? Yeah. What-
0: well, there are actually the the demo days have all gone virtual for the most okay, part. Okay. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's it's different, right? Like. There, you really, I, I just, I still don't think there's any substitute and I, you know, as, as great as Zoom is, and you know, i I actually have been amazed how productive it is and, and how much you can get done over it. I, I feel there's no substitute for an in-person meeting or event or demo day, you know, like you really get that, that sense of someone when you're, when you're meeting them in person. Um, but a lot of that's gone virtual, so we can still kind of track all of that, um, and, you know, things things come in through our network. Um, so whether that's um, portfolio founders who, who refer us a lot of deals, which, which is always great, because, you know, great founders know other great founders um, sure. and other VCs, um, you know, who we collaborate with. I think one thing I really enjoy about being a seed stage investor is that it is fairly collaborative. Like, you know, in a seed round, you could have you know, two or three funds. Um, so, so we all do work together, um, you know, maybe some series A funds too, who are sending us earlier stage deals. Um, so, so yeah. And then I think, you know, what it's harder to do kind of the networking part of the business, like, you know, where maybe I would go get a coffee with someone, you know, Mm -hmm. do you really want to get on a 15 minute zoom? Like, you know, so, (laughs) um, so we have to figure that, that part of it out, but, but yeah, it, it, It's starting to build up too. I think people were a little scared the last month or so to pitch their business because they felt like, oh, this is such a horrible time. Um, But you see people now saying, okay, like, I think I'm ready. Like, it seems like the market is, 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 you know, opening back up.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really interesting, super insightful. It's it's just been interesting to get different people's perspective on how they're adjusting to, you know, COVID. And, you know, I think we're probably going to be in this situation for another two months or so. So, yeah, uh, not no,
0: longer. Yeah,
1: Um, yeah, probably a bit longer. to be fair, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good that we're documenting these conversations. So when we listen back, you know, in a few years time, I know like, it'll
0: oh, be interesting.
1: Yeah, interesting. Like, oh, we weren't allowed out during this period.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: well, no, I want to. I want to work towards wrapping up now, and um, I have a yeah, ton sure. of like uh, fireside questions. That I, I rapid fire questions rather than I ask okay. at the end of the show. So, what has or who has been your biggest inspiration?
0: Oh, um, I don't know. I'll have to come back to you on that one.
1: Okay. Uh, favorite podcast.
0: Oh, well, I mean, not to plug Wondery, um, but I love all the, all the Wondery podcasts. Um, I just listened to one called the dating game killer which Mm -hmm. was really phenomenal about the serial killer in the 70s. Um, So they have great kind of like escapism podcasts. Um, And then um, I listen to the Daily, the New York Times podcast almost every day.
1: Prerequisite if you're a New Yorker, I think.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, That required listening. I actually listened to the Jeffrey Epstein series on Wondery and that was insane. I think that was incredibly well done as well.
0: Yeah. They just have their, their production quality is, is really amazing. You don't realize how big a difference it makes until, until you really get engrossed with on Yeah, I need to listen to that one.
1: Yeah, no, that, that was a really, really good one. Um, favorite blog.
0: Oh, um, I mean, I love, um, it's not really a blog, but I love the Axios, uh, newsletters. I mean, Dan Primack, okay. um, who came over from fortune, I used to read his, um, daily newsletter on fortune and now he does pro rata for Axios. I just think it's a really great, um, kind of breakdown of, of what's going on in, in the tech world, um, every day. Yeah.
1: I've been meaning to sign up to that one, actually. I, I typically just use, uh, term sheet. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, axios yeah, I sign up for that. Uh favorite book?
0: Oh, um, I, you know, I I tend to read more. I'm not one of those people that reads like a ton of nonfiction. I tend to read more uh just to kind of escape. Um, so I can't give you like a super ethereal tech uh <laughs> answer to that. Um I'm obsessed with this um Irish author uh, her name is Sally Rooney um she wrote uh two she's very young she's like in her late 20s so she hasn't written many books yet I'm hoping she'll write another one soon but she wrote one called Normal People and another called Conversations with Friends and I just love her her writing style
1: nice uh favorite Instagram account or Twitter account
0: um what do I like I try to stay off of Twitter when I can
1: <laughs> As a oh, could, man. how do you do that
0: uh, yeah i no, i when i say that i check it only 10 times a day versus 100 <laughs> oh, <shit>. uh, <laughs> um, i've actually really enjoyed during corona it was a new town i started following um the cut um yeah. which is i believe part of like the new york media group um but i think they've done a really great job of kind of marrying kind of like satirical content with um with kind of like hard hitting journalism and and they have a focus on New York so it, it's close to home. Right.
1: Got it. Uh what do you wish you could do that you currently can't, can't do?
0: Um see my friends um, and like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and and go to a restaurant. I feel like I, you know, I've been cooking like every single night, which is great. I feel like I've really buffed up on my on my cooking skills, but I'm like dying to to go to a restaurant.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, That is, I mean, look at that. That's a really simple answer for this time. I mean, usually I get things like fly an airplane, jump, you know, like crazy, no, things, I like know. Teleport, but it's like, I just want to see my friends. I mean, that is, that is very telling of the times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> um, actually
0: funny Cause my best friends, we actually, none of us, only one of my best friends lives in New York. I I mean, have a few, like of my good group of friends. And so we never, we don't actually see each other that often, but there's something about not being able to see each other. That makes yeah. me want it more. Yeah
1: yeah um advice you would give to your 21 year old self
0: oh man um just to like be open i feel like you as a young someone in their young 20s you should say yes to every opportunity that that comes your way and and not overthink things and and just and just go just go with it um i feel like i i over over Thought things a bit when I was that age, and would love just to go back and and see where the world would take me if I had you know said yes to absolutely everything.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. Um, if you had a hundred dollars in your favorite city, what would you spend it on? And what uh, city? Would you-
0: oh yeah, well, um, I love Rome. I think that's my favorite city in in the whole world. Mm. Um, and I would absolutely spend all one hundred dollars on food. Got it. Anything yeah. What's that? Oh, pasta, yeah. pizza, wine.
1: The usuals, the staples. The
0: usual, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, okay, what's the one thing that startups should ignore in
0: the early days? Um, I think like the hype. Um, whether you're getting the hype or a competitor's getting the hype. Um uh, you know, hype doesn't last and, and, you know, you just just like stick to the reasons that you started the company. Um, and, and, you know, just kind of work, work towards that and and try to ignore, ignore everything else.
1: Got it. Um, oh, also wh- I,
0: sorry, one more oh. thing. Oh, um, and this is going to be <laughs> not intuitive since I'm a, a VC. Um, but I, don't raise venture money um would be my advice to a lot of businesses. Um I and I, maybe this'll be a, a corona correction, I don't know, but <laughs> I feel like in the last um two years, so um, you know, I've seen a lot of companies out there who would be amazing, could grow to be really big businesses, but just should not raise venture money. Um, so I would say think long and hard about whether you want to raise venture capital.
1: That's so interesting. You're like the ninth VC that has said that.
0: Okay. I
1: wonder why that is though. What is, I mean, what, I'm trying to read between the lines here, but you know, what is that, as someone who well, works in venture, why would you advise against it?
0: I think that when you raise venture capital, there is certain expectations that are put on you and on your business in terms of growth um, and the outcome that are unrealistic for the majority of businesses. And I think that people drive themselves crazy trying to turn a a non-venture company into a venture company, um, and, and can really destroy a lot of business value trying to grow too fast. Um, and at the end of the day, you don't have to give up a lot of ownership if you can build the company, you know, more organically. And and listen, I this comes with a ton of caveats because I know that capital is hard to find. Um, But, um, you know, if you can finance it in other ways, um, you know, you can own so much more of your company, grow it in a way that like feels comfortable for you. And at the end of the day, you know, maybe end up at the exact same place as if you had, if you had raised venture, if not, you know, better.
1: True. Very, very True. Such an, inter- maybe I'll do a whole series on why you shouldn't raise VC money. Yeah,
0: yeah, please do. Someone should uh, do
1: that. I had a guy called Ryan Welsh. You know Ryan Welsh. He was at um Floodgate Ventures for a yeah, while. Yeah,
0: yeah, okay, yeah.
1: Um, and he's now at Splice. Actually, he's in New York now. um But he was adamant about not taking VC money, and this was like Floodgate, uh, a big VC. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And he was like, "Yeah, don't do it. It's just gonna." change the course of your company and it might not be necessary, but like avoid yeah. it for as long as you can. Absolutely. <sighs> well, guys, and finally, I guess what's your vision for, you know, the fund? What's, what's the vision you have for, um, you know, the future?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think Lear. I mean, I think that, you know, Lear Hippo has, has done an exceptional job and it's 10 years of existence. Um, you know, I just hope that we can keep some more supporting the best, um, companies, especially New York based companies and the best founders. Um, you know, and I, I think eventually, you know, we'll, we'll be a family of funds that will do all different stages of investing. Um, but early stage and seed will always be kind of core, core to who we are. And so, you know, I think, I hope we can just kind of stay on track and and keep doing what we do.
1: Awesome. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the show. (laughs) Thank Um, you. If people want to get in contact with you, where can they find you?
0: Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, You know, I I do check it. Uh, I'm at Andrea Hippo, (laughs) um, or you can just email me, Andrea at LearHippo.com.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Stay safe.
0: Yeah, you too. Thank you.
1: just want to say another huge thank you to Andrea for coming on the show and sharing all of those insights with us Um, something that i would definitely take away from that is hearing a vc say don't take vc money always crazy whenever i hear that as always guys thank you so much for tuning in and if you haven't already please subscribe or leave us a review on the apple podcasting app or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts they honestly do go a long way until next time guys keep grinding